So once again, we'll be reading first from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, and then from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Betsy. So hello, everybody. Uh, special welcome to any of you who are new. I know uh, some of you came in after the initial welcome. So my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. We just started a couple months ago. So if you are new, uh, you're in a uh, place with many people just like you who are also new. And no matter what your spiritual background is, if you're just checking out who Jesus is, uh, or if you've been following Jesus for a really long time, we're really glad that you're with us. And so uh, what we're going through this fall uh, in our preaching series is our identity as a church. So who are we? Typically what we do is we just go through a book of the Bible, verse by verse. Uh, we'll pick back up with that uh, in the new year. But we're wrapping up this fall going over our identity as a church. And so uh, we're currently looking at our core convictions. And so last week we looked at the word of God as something we're always going to hold to. Uh, that it's God's promise in his word. Uh, that it's his word that is enough to build the church, uh, to save those who are lost and to mature believers. And so that was last week. And today what we're looking at is discipleship. So discipleship is always going to be at the heart of everything we do. So why discipleship? Why is making disciples something that we are always going to be about doing? And uh, the answer is in that passage that you just heard read, Matthew 28. So that, is, that was Jesus' final charge to his followers before he ascended up to heaven. So he's saying, this is what I want you to be about. He's talking to people who are going to start the church and then plant churches that plant churches. And what Jesus says there is, is he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, so whatever he says next really matters. Because <laughs> what Jesus has just said is he says, I'm the one who upholds the created order. Right? I'm the one by whom and through whom all things exist for. Right? I'm the one who's existed from eternity past and into eternity future. Like, I am God is what Jesus is saying there. And so whatever Jesus says next, we have to do. He could say, go stand on your head at, in Northside Social every Monday afternoon, and we'd have to go do it because it's Jesus who's talking. Okay? But what does he say? He says, go make disciples. And so what we have to be about as a church is making disciples. Um, a lot of churches can just be about like a community that gathers to do fun things, right? Or do service projects. Th those are good things. But if we aren't making disciples here, then we're not following Jesus. Okay, and so just what I hope for, for you all is uh, no matter where you are, like if, if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you've only been following Jesus for a few months, 
I want you to see yourself as a disciple maker, not just someone who follows Jesus, but somebody who can also make disciples uh, because this is what Jesus wants for you. Okay, so because this idea of discipleship is so important, um, this is how we'll look at uh, the, the passages today. So first we'll just ask, what's a disciple? Important question. And then number two, we'll look at, okay, so how do we go about making disciples? This is just number one, what is a disciple? And then number two, how do we go about making disciples? So first, what is a disciple? And we see this in the Mark chapter one passage, verses 16 to 20. It's a very succinct and clear snapshot of what is a disciple of Jesus. So what you see is Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees some brothers fishing. He says, hey, you know what's going on, guys? And they, they look at him and he says, follow me and I will, me- I will make you become fishers of men. And it's in that statement where you see what a disciple is. So a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, but also somebody who helps others follow Jesus, right? So Jesus says, I'll make you become fishers of men, meaning I'll help you lead others to following me. And you need both, right? Because sometimes it's easy to say, oh, well, I follow Jesus, you know, in my private life. But if you're not also helping other people follow Jesus, then you're not then you're not a disciple. So that's what a disciple is, okay? You, you follow Jesus, but also you help others follow Jesus. So that's what we're gonna look at for the rest of our time today is just, okay, so what does it look like to follow Jesus? And then how do we go about helping others follow Jesus? And especially that second part that we're gonna dwell on today. So over this fall, we've been looking a lot at what does it mean to follow Jesus? So we'll cover that high level, but then we'll spend more time on how do we help other, pol- other people follow Jesus? Because I think for a lot of folks, that's something very vague or, or nebulous at, at best. Okay, it's, it's, it can be difficult. So, so what does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, a couple of things we see in this Mark chapter 1 passage. So first, to, to follow Jesus is the difference between being a disciple and being a fan of Jesus. Okay, to follow Jesus is the difference between being a disciple of Jesus and being a fan of Jesus. There are a lot of fans of Jesus, outside the church and inside the church. Okay, a lot of people who say, oh, I, I love these teachings of Jesus. I love how Jesus challenged the power structures of his day. Jesus did do those things, but people can be, be in the church their entire life, but at the end of the day, they're really nothing more than a, a fan. They just think Jesus is kind of cool. Like, yeah, really, I'm living all about this, and I'll take some Jesus on the side. But you see in the passage, what happens is when Jesus calls those, those followers what does it say? It says they leave their nets and follow Jesus. Now, they weren't just going out for a Saturday afternoon fishing trip. Like, they were fishermen. That was their career. And so what they're doing is they're leaving their career to follow Jesus. Now, what Jesus is not saying is he's not saying if you follow me, you have to abandon all your worldly pursuits. Because we know this because his, his disciples went back to their careers, back to their families after Jesus ascended. But what Jesus is saying is when you follow me, I become your, your absolute allegiance and your number one priority in life. And everything else is a distant, distant, distant second. Like that's what happens when, when you follow Jesus, especially when, when you consider who he is, is he becomes your absolute allegiance in life and everything else is a distant second. And a picture of what this can look like is, so this is a, a bad example of what, what not to do. But so apparently in the Crusades, when uh, knights were baptized is, so they would get baptized, but as they would go underwater, they would hold their sword over the water. And what it was a way of saying is, okay, Jesus, you can have like this part of me, but you can't have my sword because my sword is my identity. My sword is my security. Uh, my, my sword is, is my livelihood. 
And sometimes we do that, don't we? We, we? we approach Jesus and we say, okay, Jesus, yeah, you can have this and this and this, but don't touch my career. Okay, don't, don't touch my reputation. Okay, don't touch this relationship. Don't touch these fears that I have. Don't touch these anxieties that I have. But Jesus says, when you, when you follow me, I need to have everything. And so just a question to ask yourself is if somebody were to observe your life, would they see you just, you know, through your emotions, through your actions as like holding something back and not giving it to Jesus? Or if they were to watch your life, would they see your life as having Jesus as the one that your entire life orbits around? Is it kind of like, oh, yeah, well, really, I'm all about my love life. And yeah, if I can have some Jesus on the side, that's cool. And what's so amazing is just if Jesus did make you, and he did, and if he's far wiser than you and far more committed to your good than you are, and he is, then just ask yourself like a very basic question. Like, what area of my life will not be dramatically improved if I give it to Jesus instead of trying to run it myself? Like, what area of my life do I think that Jesus is, go is going to make a mess out of that I would handle brilliantly? Okay, so that's the first way it means to follow Jesus is... Uh, you, you give everything to him. He's your absolute priority. You're not, you're not just a fanboy or a fangirl. You know, I, I say this in love. This is what Jesus had to say all the time. Number two, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that when you follow Jesus, you realize at its heart, your relationship with Jesus is more about him calling you than you going to him. So you notice that in, in, the, in the fishermen, like who called who? Was Jesus walking by and the disciples ran up to Jesus and said, oh, yeah, we want to be your disciples. No, Jesus called his disciples. And it's the same thing with you. If, if you know Jesus, if you're even interested in following Jesus, it's because he first pursued you. Everything is about Jesus from start to finish. Okay, before you existed, Jesus set his gaze on you. And Jesus came to earth for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again for you. And then Jesus orchestrated everything throughout history so that one day you would hear his words, either from somebody telling you about him or through, through reading his words yourself in the scriptures. It's all about Jesus from start to finish, and he gets the glory in the end, not you. It's all about Jesus. And so what, what Christianity is, is not, is Christianity is not, well, I used to wild it out in college and, you know, smoke and sleep around and live dishonestly, and now I don't, that's not Christianity. Christianity is you, you look at Jesus and you go, oh my gosh, like even when you were unobligated and I didn't deserve it, like you, you loved me, you came to earth for me, you died and rose again for me, you've prepared a place for me, that's amazing, like wh what do you want me to do with these few short years that I have on this earth? It's all about Jesus first, first pursuing you and not you pursuing Jesus. And so a character trait that should never characterize any of us in this church who follow Jesus is swagger. None of us should swagger. Because Jesus did not set his heart on us because we are such amazing people. The only thing we have to boast in is the cross of Christ. And so finally, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And then we'll jump into how do we help other people follow Jesus is to follow Jesus means you are following a person and not a philosophy. 
Jesus does, notice what he says. Jesus doesn't come along and say, hey, I have a new moral program for you to adopt. Every other religious teacher do, did that. Okay, Buddha says, follow my teachings. Muhammad said, follow my teachings. Confucius said, follow my teachings. What did Jesus say? He said, follow me. They follow me. So following Jesus is fundamentally about following a, a person. And so some helpful, like, diagnostic questions to, to ask yourself is, like, when you think about, you know, okay, so how's your spiritual life going? Often we go to, okay, how am I doing with X, Y, Z behavior? Those things matter. But try asking yourself, like, how am I doing loving Jesus today? How am I doing being loved by Jesus today? Or whose approval am I seeking today more than Jesus? Because at the end of the day, we are following a person. Not, not, Jesus didn't come just to give us a new set of morality to adhere to. He came to get us and for us to get him. Okay, so that's, that's what, what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? This is just some very high-level things, because um, we can't look at how do we help others follow Jesus if we don't first know, okay, what, is, what does it mean to, to follow him ourselves? So next, what does it look like to, to help other people follow Jesus? And because remember, Jesus said, you, you need to make disciples. And if you are a disciple, you also make disciples. And so there are two components to this. There's an internal component. So how do we help make immature disciples inside the church, people who already follow Jesus? And then how do we make disciples outside the church, right? people who don't currently know Jesus? And so that's what we'll look at, internal and external. So first, uh, internal, how do, we help people, how do we help people inside the church follow Jesus? And the first is a, a key principle that a lot of people miss, and that's that making disciples is never abstracted from the context of a local church. Like in Matthew 28, when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. So baptizing and teaching, those are two ordinances that Jesus gave the local church. And then that first church in Jerusalem planted more churches. It planted more churches. Okay, so you're, you're baptized into a, a local church. God raises up leaders in a local church to teach. Okay, so, and what's very common in the West is this lone wolf, just me and Jesus Christianity. But discipleship always takes place in, in the context of a church, not, not in a vacuum. Like if, as you read through the New Testament, you see there's well over 50, like, one another commands. Love one another, be patient with one another, teach one another. What does one another mean? It's not in a, it's not in a vacuum. It's in the context of whatever local church you're in. So that, that's the first thing we just, it can't be said enough. We often miss it. And so it's done in the context of a local church. But now how do we actually go about doing it? And... So I, I want to try to make this as simple and as concrete as possible. Like, how do you make disciples, like, how do you mature disciples, people who are already following Jesus? And so first, I'm going to start with a few myths or objections that I think a lot of us hold to that hold us back from making disciples. Okay, so the, the first myth or objection is this. I'm not spiritually mature enough to make disciples. Okay. Well, you see what Jesus said in Mark 1 where he said, follow me and you'll become fishers of men? Wait, no, Jesus didn't say that. He said, follow me and I will make you become, I will make you become fishers of men. So your ability to speak into other believers' lives and help mature them 
Your sufficiency does not come from you. It all comes from Jesus. He is the one who makes you a disciple maker. And so if you are walking around like saying things like, uh, you know, I'm just such a natural at this, then you've missed it completely. Because it's only through the power of Jesus that you have the ability to, to make disciples. And so no matter who you are, even if you've only been following Jesus for a few months, you can make other disciples. You can mature other disciples. And especially in a younger church, like you guys need to hear this. Because sometimes you just sit there and you just, okay, well, I need to learn and learn and learn before I do things. You look at Jesus' first disciples, they didn't know much. And they were already making disciples. Like, can you ask other believers questions about how God's working in their life? Yeah. Can you pray for other people in the church? Yeah. Can you share questions you have and how God's working in your life? Yeah. You can make disciples. Okay, so second objection I need somebody way wiser and more godly than me to disciple me. So sometimes when I, I talk with people, it's, it's as if you're waiting for Yoda or Gandalf to come along and disciple you because you're so far along in your spiritual journey. But can I just say this? Like, if, if that's you, like, well, I wish there was somebody, you know, wise enough or old enough or mature enough to disciple me. In there, there's, there's a lot of pride. Because what, what you're saying is, I'm so far along that I can't learn from other people. But when, when you are humble, remember we call, Jesus called you, you can go to Jesus. When, when you are humble from walking in the gospel, you, you can learn from anybody. Now, if you've been walking as a, as a faithful believer for 15 years and somebody just came to faith two months ago, should they be teaching you more than you? No. Okay, like more than you're teaching them, no. Like you should be the one more, more mentoring them. But in general, like it's not an accident that the people who are around you in your local church are around you. Okay, there are so many people even in this body, even though, yes, a lot of us are younger, that, that you can learn from. Be di- Is it wonderful to, to be discipled by an older person? Yes. <laughs> um, but because we're ultimately not discipling out of only our life experience, but the word of God, which imparts wisdom, like we can all disciple each other. And, and the third myth, and I think this, this may be the most important, is I can't disciple somebody because I still struggle with sin. I can't disciple anybody because I still struggle with sin. Well, welcome to the club. Okay, now, if you are walking in, like, unrepentant patterns of sin that you're refusing to be corrected in, yeah, you probably shouldn't be discipling others. But, yeah, if you're slipping all the time and you're finding yourself regularly just struggling and battling with something, okay, be it bitterness or, or pride or self-centeredness or lust or whatever it may be, and you're still just fighting to love Jesus and find God's mercy in the midst of it, can, can you disciple other people? Yes, because I think some of, some of you... Some of you may feel so beaten down by your own failures or by the world that you feel like you have nothing to offer. But guys, maybe it's, it, maybe it's precisely your fight that's what you have to offer. Maybe it's your daily plead for mercy. That's what other people need to hear. Wouldn't that be an amazing way to help others in the church? 
he pointed to Jesus and followed him in the church, when they, when they see he's was sleep, slipping but clinging to the cross and empty tomb of Christ, yes. And so do not buy the lie that you have to reach some spiritual bar to disciple other people. There's only one perfect person. His name's Jesus Christ. Okay, and he's the one we're pointing everybody to. And so, so much of discipleship is not, here's how I'm winning, but here's how I'm battling and Jesus is the hero. You can, you can absolutely disciple other people because of who Jesus is. And so those are hopefully some, some helpful myths to, to disabuse you of if, if you, you hold any of those things. But like, so now what are some practical ways this actually plays out? Okay, like on the ground, what does it look like to disciple people? So first we have discipleship groups, okay? Like small groups of two to five or some of you have like eight or nine, you need to multiply. Um, small groups, you know, same gender where you get together, you talk about the Bible, you, you pray with each other. That is one great and important way to do it. We, we need this, the sit down conversations like that. But that's only one part of it. Okay, so much of discipleship is simply doing ordinary life with people and pointing them to Jesus throughout the process. I mean, that was, how, that was how Jesus often did it, just walking around teaching as he went. So what are some examples of what discipleship looks like? So discipleship happens when somebody asks you to hang out and you say, well, I'm really busy, but I need to run to Trader Joe's tomorrow, so do you want to go with me? And, you, they, and they go with you. And as you're going to and from the grocery store, you notice that they're running hard after their career and Jesus is just kind of a second thought. And so you just say, hey, you know, I, if you don't mind, this is just something I, I notice. Like, can I... Can, can, can we talk about that? Can, can you explain to me, you know, what's going on? Like, are you feeling dry spiritually? How can I point you to Jesus? How can I pray for you? Like, can, can we follow up on that together? Because work is such an idol in Arlington. That's discipleship. Or you're, you're experiencing a tricky situation. So maybe you're mentoring somebody else who they're just going through something you don't really know how to handle. You're trying to figure out how do I share Jesus with one of my coworkers, one of my neighbors. So you go to somebody else in the church who's, who's been through what you're trying to work through. And you just go, hey, can you help me like mentor this person or share my faith with this person? They, ask me. they say, oh, yes, absolutely. They, they meet with you. They talk with you. They, they pray for you as you go to do it. That's discipleship. The discipleship happens when, when you start dating somebody. And then, so you want to see, okay, so how do I go about this in a, in a Christ-centered manner? And that sets us up well in case we get married. So you go to another man or woman who's been married for a little while, and you just ask, okay, what does it mean to put Jesus at the heart of our relationship? What are, what are some ways that, that you messed up and that you could teach me so I can learn? That's discipleship. Discipleship is just doing ordinary life and pointing one another to Jesus in the process. That, that's all it is. But it changes the community when it happens. Because so often, what we end up being about is not following Jesus, but about something else. We just go to Jesus maybe when we need something. Okay, so that, that's how we make disciples inside the church, okay? So pretty much, really, anyone can do it. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can do it. As a church, we help you do that. It's just ordinary life pointing people to Jesus Christ. Okay, and so finally we'll look at what does it look like to make disciples outside of the church? And so maybe some of you are here and you aren't, you aren't Christians and you're just checking things out. Maybe 
this sounds weird, like, God, we want to share Jesus with you. But hopefully if you are here and you don't know Jesus, you just get a little small window into what our heart is and, and why we want people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus and to do it in a way that's not obnoxious. Okay, so I think this is often, for, I know for a lot of you, you, you want so badly for people in your life to know Jesus who don't know Jesus. But it's really, it's, it's really hard. And okay, this isn't a, a whole sermon on sharing your faith. And so I, I tried to think about just like, what are the, the few key things that are most helpful when it comes to sharing your faith with, with people who, who don't know Jesus? And so the first one is, especially when you consider our cultural context, where we're very distracted. Okay, we're probably the most distracted culture of people that's ever lived. Like we have instant access to billions of people on our phone. Okay, with the click of a button, there's always something to watch. Okay, there, there's always something to do in our job. It's just, it's hard to get people, whether they're inside or outside the church, like, it's hard to get them just to slow down long enough to, to think about life's bigger questions and to contemplate those things. And so, in a cultural moment like ours, like, what's one of the best ways you can share the gospel? It's, it's the same way that, that it's always been. And the first thing is just being present. Okay, just regularly being in the lives of people who don't know Jesus. Okay, just like two or three, okay, you can't do everybody, and investing in them and spending time with them. And here's the key. You're, you're not loving them in order to evangelize them. Or you're not loving them like just so they can come to know Christ, right? Because in a way now, they're just a means to an end. You're, you're just loving them and as you love them, you're not hiding how much Jesus means to you throughout your friendship. Okay, there, there's a big difference there. Right? Like just hanging out with somebody is a means to an end to share the gospel versus just loving them and being near them and liking them. And how can you care for them in a myriad of ways? And then just don't hide who you are. Like don't hide how, how Jesus impacts your life. And, and pray for God to open up opportunities because there, there will come a time. It might be something renewed. It might be suffering they might go through. It might just be you're just having a conversation and it, and it comes forward where they'll be willing to listen and you can just share the good news about who Jesus is. And they can choose whether or not they'll receive it or reject it. But just, just be regularly present. And then the second thing is, so how do you actually communicate the gospel? Sometimes we get, like, really weird when we try to share the gospel. Like, you know, we're talking about sports, we're talking about politics, I'm at a career, and we're just, yeah, talking about it, and then all of a sudden Jesus gets, gets brought, and we're like, like what, what's that? Like, why are you getting weird? Like, like stop getting weird. If, if they're getting weird, it's because you're getting weird, okay? So just, like, how do you, how do you just, like, communicate the, the gospel of, of Jesus? Well, there, there's no canned approach. There, there's, there's no one way to do it because okay, people come from so many different backgrounds and temperaments and religions or they don't hold a religion. And so, but here, here's the one thing that's in common for everybody, like every human being. And that's at, at the end of the day, every single one of us is trying to save ourselves. Every single one of us is trying to save ourselves. Now, a lot of people don't use that language, okay, especially in, you know, America. People don't, oh, I don't need salvation. But everyone is 
throwing themselves at their career or throwing themselves at love relationships or throwing themselves at some intellectual pursuit. Why? So that I can know I'm okay, so that I can know I have a life worth living. Okay, that, that's a form of trying to save yourself. And with every person, eventually there comes a point, if you're paying attention, when you realize you can't save yourself. And where Jesus defers from every single other non-religious philosophy and every single other religious philosophy is that he doesn't come along and say, here's what you need to do to fix it. That's what every other system of thought does. Try this new therapy. Okay? Try this new technique. Try this. Try that. You need to do this to fix yourself. It's only Jesus who comes along and says, I'm not here to tell you something else you have to do to know that you have self-worth, right, to know that you're okay. I'm God come to find you, to do everything for you so that my perfect life is credited to you. And my resume becomes your resume. And so when God looks at you, he sees you as perfect and beautiful as he sees me. And it's this that, that's at the heart of Christianity, grace, grace, an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. And this is what you're trying to communicate, that what? It's salvation is of the Lord. Looked at that a couple months ago, Jonah 2.9. Salvation is utterly and totally and unconditionally of the Lord. Salvation is not from you. Salvation is not from another human teacher. Salvation is of the Lord. It's grace. It's all you need to communicate. And my favorite example in the Bible of a time where this happened was in John chapter 4. So there was a Samaritan woman, and she wasn't well-respected in her community. And on a hot day, she goes to a well to draw water. And she goes to the well, and Jesus is sitting there. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And so she gives him a drink. And then Jesus looks at her, and he says, I have living water that if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about spiritual thirst. He's talking about deep satisfaction, deep, lasting joy. He's saying, I have this living water, eternal life, which I can give you. And she says, okay, sir, you know, give me this living water. And then Jesus responds with, go get your husband. And it seems like a non sequitur, but she goes, oh, I don't have a husband. And she just goes, you're right, but you've had five husbands, and the man you're with right now is not your husband. Now, what's Jesus doing there? It sounds kind of harsh. Maybe it sounds mean. No, that's not what he's doing. What Jesus is saying is he's saying the, the thing that you're looking to, to know that everything's okay and that you're okay, you've been looking for in men. And everybody looks somewhere to find it. She was looking in men to give her that deep soul satisfaction. But he's saying only I can give you living water. And he tells her who, who he is. And she's like, oh my gosh. And she, she runs into town. And what's particularly telling is what she tells the townsfolk after her encounter with Jesus. Is she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
And so they were curious, and they, they came to see Jesus, and many in the town came to faith in Jesus. And do you, do you see what she did? She said, come and see a man. Because what happened was she just bared herself to Jesus, which especially in that culture was utterly shameful what she was doing. So what she's saying is this man saw every dark corner of me. He saw me, he saw all of me, and he still offered me living water. Come and see a man. And what happened? She experienced grace. Like that's what she experienced. A man who saw me all the way down and loved me to the stars. And why was Jesus able to offer her that living water? Well, because on the cross, he said, I thirst. Right, where on the cross, Jesus experienced the cosmic thirst, separation from God the Father that you and I deserve for all the ways we reject God and don't love others as we should. So that you can have living water, Jesus himself, that guarantees you eternal life. This, this woman didn't know all of that. All she knew was she experienced grace. And she didn't have any training on how to share her faith. She didn't go through any, any training programs. All she did was she just said, come and see a man. And, and that's all making other disciples is. Whether it's people inside the church or you're talking to people outside the church. We are given the privilege of day after day just saying, come and see a man. Jesus Christ, because salvation is utterly and totally of the Lord. That's discipleship. Right, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for anybody here who is not following you that... Um, you will help them to see who you are and begin following you today. And for those of us here who follow Jesus, Lord, I, following you can be so difficult. And I ask that you will help us to make you our number one priority and be reminded of that it's you who first called us, not us who approached you. And to make you the center of our lives. Lord, help us to make mature disciples inside this body, uh, no matter who comes in our doors. And May you do a miraculous work through this church in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families uh, to point people to Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray.